0: welcome back to the cycling tips podcast everybody this is another tour daily we're coming to you from the second rest day in carcassonne i'm kelly fretz i'm the mayor of banterbury Johnny Long, the Archbishop of Banterbury, welcome. Good afternoon, Katie Fretz. (laughs) And Ian Treloar,
1: the... I was wondering what you were going to do there. (laughs) The... Kind of used up your good gags early. (laughs) (laughs) The king of Banterbury? I'll take it. You could be the king of Banterbury. Like, king, mayor, archbishop, we've got a religious component, an administrative (laughs) component, (laughs) and just royalty. (laughs)
0: indeed indeed uh well as as last time on the tips cast uh today's episode is going to be a little bit a little bit different it's going to be less about the goings-on of the tour de france and more about the goings-on around the tour de france uh and we've got we've got a number of things to sort of inform you all about and and discuss and try to take you inside kind of you know what it's like to be over here so Today, we are supported by Velocio Apparel. Velocio Apparel is driven to find a better way in cycling apparel. From unrivaled performance to sustainable fabrics, Velocio guarantees it will improve your cycling experience or you can return it for a full refund. Try any Velocio Apparel piece and return it for a full refund with no questions asked within 30 days if you aren't completely satisfied. Listeners can try Velocio now using the code Cycling Tips. Twenty for twenty percent off your first order—that's quite a lot. Learn more at Velocio.cc. veloci o.cc
1: Thanks to Velocio for sponsoring today's episode. First of all, who wants to set the scene? I'll set the scene. We're right. uh, in the in the shade of a bridge, which I am going to claim is a Roman bridge, but you can correct us when you find out that the bridge over mm. the river in Carcassonne is not Roman. It may be medieval. I don't know. I'm not an expert. But it's
2: not new. I was just Googling It's not this. new, no.
1: It's it's old. It's got pigeons nesting in it. It's uh. It's looking worse for wear, to be honest. And I, I wouldn't want to drive a truck over it. But regardless, we are underneath it. Uh, we are tops off, all three. Cheb's out. As we have spent most of our time in Carcassonne. <laughs> it's so um, hot. We've got our, our feet in the river. We asked the waitress at the restaurant that we went to today whether it was going to be safe for us to swim in the river and she paused for a moment uh, as if wondering her own life choices as well as ours and then said, it is a little dirty. So uh, we've got our feet in but <laughs> no further.
0: No further than that. Uh, I just did some quick googling on the bridge that we are underneath and Le Pont Vieux which is literally translates as the old bridge was built in the 11th century, before being destroyed in wars, and was reconstructed in the 14th century.
1: It's quite old. It's quite old. Uh, do we have a Google review score? Like is it a, a 4.1 or it something? It gets and then...
0: 4 out of 5. 4 out of 5. Very right. nice bridge with very beautiful views of Carcassonne. Can, you can you find I find the get... low one? Yeah, yeah can I a one, one star review? <laughs> Best way to get to the today. I, I don't own. care about the wood like attributes. Very I want to know review the <laughs> <laughs> bridge over six hundred years old. A From Andrew S. in London, United Kingdom. Your mate, uh, good friend of Johnny's, I think. It's a bridge. I do find it curious
2: when asked to review things of this nature. I think that Who's he's volunteering him? his time. <laughs> no one's asking Andrew to review that. The first one also sounded British, and I think maybe that is what the British people do now. Is they just review things in much much better places just to make themselves feel better about living in Redbridge or <laughs> Wadebridge.
0: Pip M88 does exactly what it says on the tin. <laughs> that's, also a a, that's a
2: British phrase as well, isn't it? It's all Brits. It's all Brits,
0: uh, unfortunately. On tripadvisor.com. <laughs> anyway, we have, we have other things to talk about today other than this, I think, quite nice at least, minimum four out of five star bridge that we're
1: sitting underneath we want to talk about yeah we've uh, we've got a pretty um pretty cooked uh run sheet for this podcast we i, I looked aclo- across whilst kaylee was jotting down our talking points and i thought this is really the ramblings of a madman. like we the only the only place that this list should be is written in blood on like a public toilet wall like that's that's the caliber of things that we're going to get to today so yes uh kidnapping a junior member of the aso there's one that we've got our eye on (laughs)
0: i'll explain what we're annoyed about and then you 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 explain why so we are annoyed because reporters journalists were kicked out of the the bus paddock in the morning but only in the morning not in the evening only in the morning we were kicked out of the bus paddock uh after the last rest day, was it? Yes. Anyway, they, they basically decided that journalists were just intensely dangerous COVID vectors, which is honestly has, has a probably <laughs> kind of, yeah, kind of accurate. Uh, but anyway, decided that, that we should not be allowed to essentially do our jobs in the morning, and it makes doing what we were trying to do significantly more difficult. And then we see here in Carcassonne for the rest day, we're wandering around, and there are ostensibly bubbled team staff all over the place getting drinks late at night hanging out in bars hanging out in restaurants and we said that seems unfair
2: yes it um the, the point has been raised and it is true but how do we go about rectifying the situation there is the we have a a union the ai JC, which is maybe the most specific union and small-numbered <laughs> union in the whole world. Um, so the idea that you know power comes with with quantity. Maybe maybe it's tested. I don't know. I'm, I'm a relatively new member. There's a couple dozen of us. Yeah. Yes.
0: It's the in, International
2: Association of Cycling Journalists. Yeah. The terri- Very specific. who sound like a terrifying group, didn't they? <laughs> you know, you don't wanna, don't wanna cross them. Um, so then, you know, you maybe maybe a strongly worded letter is written to the ASO and to get our point across, but maybe more direct action is needed. Other other options have been to sort of do a sit-down protest, which probably wouldn't work. Maybe if we did, it, instead of that, a lie-down protest across their desks in the press room <laughs> and, and bring back planking. A sit-down protest sounds exactly what a normal press room looks like. That's true. Yes, we li- maybe we lie down, maybe we... <laughs> But um, the other option uh, that was discussed was to kidnap. And I must we before this gets like clipped up and sent to to the air. So this is a big joke. One big joke. We promise. Uh, first of all, it was suggested to kidnap a more one of the more senior members of ASO. But then we we have a, we have a few friends in there, and we suggested maybe we can one of the more, kidnap one of the more junior ones. That's where we're at. I've fully cracked. I'm gone. <laughs> In three days i've done two pieces of written content we do, we do want
0: to make it very clear that we have no intention of kidnapping anybody it was merely it was merely an expression an expression of frustration at the current situation but it's probably and i, I think that uh i think we could all agree that this is probably not the way to actually
2: solve it um our most our most arranged request yet of the so happened yesterday when uh i got a text from from my father who's previously mentioned on the podcast friend of, asking the pod. about, friend of the pod been asking about when when the actual broom from the broom wagon uh stopped featuring so i believe it there used to be actual broom on it and i tried to explain this to them but as you pointed out kaylee the the word broom probably doesn't come up often in terms of french english french english speaking yeah, yeah. translation um so it's five very awkward minutes of back and forth but maybe if any of the velo club members steeped in cycling history know they could give us a leg up on producing this specific story that,
1: that conversation, that request concluded with uh, with one of the more senior members of the ASO just looking at you confused for a few minutes and then saying, it's just a van.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it was really, I aged about five years in that conversation. Such was the stress and humiliation. But we're all good now.
0: Just to be clear, there are, so the issue is that there's a broom wagon. It's called the voiture balai, which yeah. literally means broom wagon in French. And there's no broom on it. And it, it, for a very long time, you know, it, like, the whole concept was it's sweeping up the back of the peloton. In fact, maybe we should do, like, a whole thing on, on the broom wagon at some point. It's quite an interesting thing. But, it, you know, that's, that's where it started. It was, it was sweeping up the back of the peloton. If you, if you go to a race like Roubaix, the broom wagon is not only a van, it has a big trailer behind it because it has to pick up so many riders that the trailer gets full of all the bikes that then have to get unloaded at the finish line. And, in fact, sometimes you even have more than one Voitroubalai. But at a race like this, and ASO races in particular, there is no indication as to the, the sort of original, uh, is it etymology? The word? The yes. history of the word? The original etymology of a broom wagon. There is no broom on the wagon. Whereas at other races, for example, Tortoise de Suisse, I was looking at photos on, on Getty today. Tortoise de Suisse, as recently as this year, has brooms all over the wagon, including some brooms with smiley faces painted on them
2: well, At the tour de France,
0: away yes yeah, exactly mm-hmm. and,
2: and at the tour de France there is no broom on the broom wagon and we think that this is wrong and should be rectified this is like you know when national newspapers run campaigns for very serious things serious things maybe this could be our campaign <laughs> bring back the broom on the broom wagon we I mean all they change. have to do
0: they could literally they could solve
2: it today we should maybe we bring them a broom tomorrow do some like Bastetama-esque <laughs> content <laughs> And just some, a broom and some, and some duct tape. The shortest think, video of all time. We try and give them the broom, they say no, and then we just get on with our day.
1: I think a, a more um, egregious error is the fact that it doesn't even seem to pick people up when they're outside the time limit because Michael Morkov was, uh, I think as we spoke about yesterday, was 30 kilometres behind the front yeah. of the race and crossed the line well after the time limit. So I, I, I don't think anyone's doing their job in in word or action. I mean,
0: the true brune wagon at this point is a is a you know it's like a, it's a secondary backup measure to make sure that a rider doesn't just get stuck out on the course somewhere because they all have team cars right and most of them and there's an, there are enough team cars in the Tour de France that Michael Marco had had a team car behind him the whole day. When it is actually useful is at races like Roubaix where the team cars cannot stick with every single rider. You know you've got two team cars and and nine guys. Seven of which might end up off the back, and you need something back there to just pick guys up mm-hmm. as they are want to stop, basically. But at the, at the Tour de France, it's it's largely a symbolic thing. I mean, for us, it's you look out for the Voiture Balai so that you know you can sort of pop back on the course after we've yeah. watched the race go by. But it's still it's just it needs. It just needs a broom on it. It doesn't seem like a, <laughs> like a complicated thing to me. I mean, so it's a very simple it, request. It literally says broom on the side of it. It needs a broom on it somewhere. We have a number of other, perhaps even more important things to talk about, though. Uh,
2: but yeah, it's just too hot to do anything. And I know it's stupid to complain because in London it's going to be 40 degrees so it's better than i here, but it's too hot, in not it? It's too hot.
0: Yeah, and you know we we saw there was there were rumors of a thousand liters of water being dumped on the ten, 000. 10 sorry, ten thousand liters of water being dumped on the road yesterday, and then they 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 downed that to three hundred liters. I would
1: say that they started out with quite a strong brag about what measures they were taking. They said, "Yeah, ten thousand liters. We're going to be spreading that all over the roads." And then I I think they probably could have done a better job of anticipating that some people might uh, object to ten thousand liters of water being wasted. Just, Arbitrarily dumped on the roads. Air. <laughs> um, so I, I think there, there was probably some level of backlash, and then they uh, retracted the thing that they had said a day earlier and just went way too far in the opposite direction and said no it was just 320 litres but they also stuck to their line that they had 10,000 litres of water in trucks so I'm wondering what happens with those 10,000 litres because you can't put it back in the tap so I think 10,000 litres of
2: water are being wasted either way they've just chosen to waste it differently you think water's like toothpaste and so once it's out that's it <laughs> can't go back I, I like to believe that it was because of a um, former ruler executive editor I believe it was titled title Ian Cleverly. Um, uploaded a series of videos to Twitter yesterday disproving the ASO's theory by like emptying a, a small bottle of water onto his patio in his garden and then watching it evaporate really quickly. So I like to think that the ASO and their 10,000 metres of water have been brought down by a man in his garden. <laughs> I mean...
0: I- I don't know the physics of it, but I actually do imagine that you could dump probably as much water as you want on an extremely hot road getting baked in the sun, and even if you cooled it down for 30 seconds, it would probably be right back up to the exact te- exact same temperature it was before, yeah. shortly after.
2: Probably need a lot of water.
0: Yeah. 10,000 litres Perhaps maybe. even <laughs> 10,000 litres or more. Yeah. So did we get gas lit a little bit on, on day two with the, with the, you know, you never heard the 10,000 litres? Uh, 10,000 litres never existed?
1: I think it was... In fact, the same person that had, I'll say it, bragged about 10,000 litres the day before, (laughs) saying, no, this is ridiculous. How could it possibly be 10,000 litres? We're not animals. That's paraphrasing.
2: (laughs) Should we throw to the caravan? Yeah, should we have a quick chat before about the other things we saw prior to recording that whole segment yesterday? Yes. So we turned up very early, partly because we were looking at the wrong page of the road book, (laughs) (laughs) and turned up... At least an hour before the caravan starts. <laughs> I didn't and the tell caravan. you when it
0: was going to come through.
2: <laughs> yeah, it was. After yeah. we'd left, though. Um, so we got there in time for all the, the people, the, the ch- they're not children, they're adults, 18 to 25 young adults who work on the caravan, throw all the stuff, dance intermittently. Um, turns out the way they get hyped for the day is there's an impromptu sort of DJ set uh, slash mosh pit that exists while they're all on raging and hangovers and they're all mushing around for a good five, ten minutes. The uh did we
1: talk about this last night? I'm not sure. But the, the rumbling of uh the caravan getting into action, the sort of groaning of the wheels was the sound of Aqua's song Barbie Girl Oh yes. just like pounding out of the speakers, painfully loud. And uh and just like fifty to a hundred young people dancing, throwing water on each other, having the best time of their lives. Yeah before standing on floats, sweating, and throwing things at people for five to six hours. It looks like simultaneously the best job and the worst job I could possibly imagine.
2: I can can do it. It's a reminder of what I'm made of in my... (laughs) my... (laughs) Well,
0: we recorded a special segment for you all, standing along the roadside, watching the caravan go past, so enjoy.
1: actually, uh, it makes quite a lot of sense with this year's Tour de France, starting in Denmark, a Danish pop band. Oh, were they? they? They were Danish. queer, Danish. Norwegian singer, though. I have to get that in there. Can you set the scene for me, Ian? Uh, we're standing on a roadside next to a parking garage in... Rodez. Where? where? Rodez. 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 hard Z. We say the Zs now, we're not in the Alps. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> uh, so we're in Rodez, and we're sort of overlooking a pitch where the caravan has, um, has been sequestered and running around getting pictures of all of the caravan vehicles. Uh, so we were we we're running around down in the pit of caravan, getting pictures of every vehicle for, uh, this is something that I've been in training for, if not physically, at least mentally, for most of the last three years. I've got some unfinished business with the caravan. There are some fresh faces in the caravan. There are some old friends. It's uh, It's very exciting. So, okay. so you, you showed up early because you wanted to catch
0: the warm up, uh, which is apparently a key, crucial part of every
1: caravanner's day. Can you describe said warm up? Okay, so there were, I think, three sort of supervisory caravan figures up on a float with like, pounding, pounding Eurodance, just blasting out, uh, a kind of mosh pit forming at the base of it just squirting water on each other dancing around sometimes in their little clusters so there was a there was a cluster of about five tortell there it's like a mineral water that claims to be a beer Um, (laughs) about five of them and they're just sort of dancing in their own little bubble in a a nightclub setting they would all have put their handbags in the middle and just sort of danced around their handbags to keep them safe but there were no handbags they were representing tortell and then there was some intermingling. You had some Kosha uh meat stick ambassadors uh boogieing with Chris uh optometrist ambassadors. Ooh, ooh la! la. I, I think that it's uh if if you're like in that 18 to 25 bracket, it would probably be quite a um quite a <laughs> adventurous month. I, I think it would be a, a physically active month throughout the entire 24 hours <laughs> there's a lot of brand synergization That's
2: it. <laughs> um, i think the special mention has to go to one woman that ian got a photo of and put in the Vela club slack on the fdj uh float where she was fully reclined almost horizontal which is impressive on some of these floats sunglasses on eyes closed just smoking of the very ends of a cigarette. <laughs> She did not join in with the, um, the dancing.
1: I, I've never seen someone more hungover in my life. Like, Just all of the bones had gone out of her. She was just draped across, uh, across her chair. And like the, the, the saddest rolled up cigarette.
2: I feel a bit hungover from just looking at her.
1: So here it comes. Leading the charge is uh, a car which says, the tour respects the environment. And following it is uh, about half an hour of cars and vehicles that do not respect the environment. <laughs> So part of what
0: we're doing here, we should say, is is we are de- trying to determine what, is, what float we would least like to spend an entire day in. And then we're going to try to get Mikey in that float
1: uh, later in the race here. The enormous lion just went past. We saw the enormous lion yesterday on our way. Sorry, it's very loud. Um, the enormous line was in front of us on the motorway and it kept getting hit by gusts of wind from the side and just like wobbling alarmingly across the road. Here is Tortell, They're the, uh, the alcohol-free beer which is mineral water. Doesn't taste anything like beer at all. We got the Skoda. Oh, this is 100% electric, Ian. That one is. I don't think the like the melon motorbike is electric. I,
2: I saw the man inside the melon motorbike. I don't think I should have taken the picture, but I did. And he was just topless, applying vast quantities of sun cream to his bare chest and stomach. And it will be an image that remains with me for a while.
1: That, uh, that's the FDJ trike.
2: Uh, as we were
1: going past, we were, we were quite taken by the FDJ trike and the man said, Please, you come and sit on it. So there is a picture of me just revving, revving a motorbike. Oh, we got the Haribo. I wonder if they don't start distributing their treasures until a bit later. I think we're too early. Is there, is there a point where they enter the route and Wait, we're? right
0: here. We should walk up. <laughs>
1: I think we're, we're into one of the ones that I would not want to be on. We're in the, on the chicken floats. Um, they're just big chickens just <laughs> driving up and down the road. Big, big chickens. Le Galois. Uh, poulet. Blanc de poulet. 100% filet. From past experience, I was very excited by what these chicken floats might be distributing. I was hoping maybe some tenderloins or some breast fillets. Just. <laughs> slapping against the road, uh, but sadly, no. <laughs> this?
2: I
0: I think, oh, we got a tractor. I'm relatively sure that social editor Mikey has fallen in love multiple times this morning already.
2: At the rate of falling in love every two, three seconds, uh, it doesn't matter that the people on the floats are financially obligated to wave. Uh, that doesn't—that doesn't matter at all.
1: It's extremely hot. Uh, We've—we're in breathless pursuit of the caravan. They've broken away from us, but we've. Uh, Sort of cut across past some some steps up, past the the garage that we're parked in. I really hope we get them. We we have our first spoil of the day. We just got hit hit in the face by chicken magnets. I got some Haribos before. It just hit me in the neck. They're supposed to throw it at your feet, and she just chucked it at
0: our faces. All right, we have a
1: contender for worst float to be on, on a 35-degree, uh, 95-degree day. The, okay, so it's a, a man that's sort of running with something on a pillow, maybe a key. Uh, it's a long float. I, it's a hotel chain. There, there is actually a worse one, a winking chef uh, just there. Winking and sprinkling salt on a cake makes no sense. And now we're up to Senseo, which is a, a coffee pouch I've... Uh, developed a, a deep loathing for over several years they're, they're kind of they taste like an ashtray they're round the machine takes forever to, to make your coffee it could be the worst coffee i've ever had i i say that but i've had some pretty bad coffees yeah there's some pretty bad coffees here
0: the, the kosho no two cv they, they uh they don't tend to get over the mountains all that well And there is always a big truck, well, there's a big truck behind for all of these vehicles because all of them are relatively shit. Uh, But those ones are particular. Often find their way onto the flatbed truck to get over some of the the higher mountain passes. Uh, Occasionally we will get stuck behind the caravan when we're driving the course and our little sticker, various stickers in your car allow you to do various things and our little sticker, because it's got the pink bit on it, we're allowed to drive through the caravan. And that is another terrifying, terrifying experience when you are slaloming Citroen 2CVs on a very narrow Pyrene- Pyrenean road and trying not to bump one of them off the mountain.
1: Yeah, the 2CV was not made for mountain roads just because, <laughs> to, de, de chevaux means two horsepower. So the original ones, I mean, the, the sort of more recent ones have closer to like nine horsepower, Woo. but it's still not what you want for getting over, say, the Pyrenees. I'd also say at this point, it's probably like a 50-year-old car, so they're likely to be quite fatigued. So that those two horsepower might have dropped to one, maybe <laughs> half, maybe a donkey. <laughs> this is Century 21. They're a real estate company. I hate these. Uh, Maxime, I, I think these are my least favorite ones. Maxime, they give out these rubbish Maxime, keychains. Maxime, 2019, when I was trying to get you all know, of the yeah. all of the treasures, Maxime, I, I got uh, the, A a sign of how disliked the Century 21 float is, is that everyone was just going like nuts trying to get anything that was being thrown their way. Century 21 goes past, throw out some keychains, no hands go up, they just (laughs) fall to the ground. (laughs) Mikey just got nailed in the leg by
0: a
2: uh,
0: Park Asterix information packet, I don't know what that is. Can you smell the clutch? I smell the clutch, that clutch is is just an overwhelming, overriding, uh, Uh, continuous, continuous smell throughout the entire Tour de France once we hit the mountains. It's just clutch everywhere.
1: Uh, a, a train float just went past, I, w- I, got, I got speaking to a, a lady that was lucky enough to ride in the train float today. Uh, she was telling me that she's been trying for five years to get into the caravan. Um, and I said, oh, that must be quite a hot and hard work job. And she said, no, just look at them. This is a seasonal job and they are having time of their lives. <laughs> it's very good. So I've just got some crackers and now I
0: am these kids' favorite person. Is, this the, is that the end? No, no there's more. Every no. time you
2: think it's the end. Every time you think it's the end, more come around the corner. <laughs> it, it, it never ends if you stay around long enough. I think it's shorter than previous years. I de- definitely during the two COVID tours, uh, it was shrank down massively. I don't know if that was economics, Josh, you're nodding or just the fact that they didn't want to put that many people dancing around in various car parks around France before the stage.
1: It was generally a more austere tour. Uh, I think, yeah,
0: they definitely shrank the caravan. And it's, it's a bit bigger again, but not, not back to its pre-COVID
1: ways yet. Also, you know, the economy had a bad time during COVID and uh, maybe in certain meetings, the advertising budgets and the advertising people thought, is our best use of funds uh, putting some teenagers on a truck around <laughs> France for three weeks? These brands have decided yes. Génération Peche maybe decided no. It's gone, and, and Bostique, the makers of glue or something. Yeah, they're like a, a rival to super glue.
0: Well, it's, it's, it's over. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this audio adventure through the Tour de France caravan. Check out cyclingtips.com because, wow, we're, we're working on a couple of pieces related to this just icon of the Tour de France. Let's get back to the rest of the show. should we talk uh should we talk semi-seriously for a moment about about covid today i mean just like in the last last rest day there's there's, uh, well the entire peloton plus staff plus uci all get tested for covid the night before the rest day and we do have two positives apparently uh this time which is which is frankly more plausible than zero which is what we got last time uh but we don't know who they are yet because they they subsequently have to go get PCR tested to determine whether they can actually start tomorrow. So just as a reminder, they start with an antigen test that's like a yes-no. And if it's a yes, you've got some sort of COVID. Then they do a PCR test. They can determine roughly how infectious, infectious you are. And if you're not particularly infectious, then you could potentially be allowed to continue racing just as Rafa, Micah, and... Bob Jungles have both been allowed to do so far this race. And so we got two riders who are now on the precipice for tomorrow morning. Uh,
1: Interestingly, we also today, this morning, received data from uh, EF Pro Cycling sponsor, WHOOP, um, which gives a a pretty interesting insight into the effect that racing with COVID can have on somebody. Their rider, Magnus Court, uh, who won stage 10, was uh, tested positive yesterday morning and was unable to start stage 15. They sent through some data from his little wristband thing that measures his uh, recovery. His whoop band. His whoop band. I mean, they were, you know, they, were, they, they sponsored the podcast before, uh, before the tour started. So we can we can name them. <laughs> Free plug. Uh, so there, there were some interesting findings from that, which separately to their findings, Magnus Court, as we know, writes a, a sometimes colourful newspaper column. But in his most recent, uh, most recent update to that, he was talking about how for several days he was feeling quite unwell, feeling really lethargic, feeling really tired and had tested multiple times negative uh, prior to testing positive on the fifth day of those, those symptoms. So uh, among the things that were found by the WHOOP band was that his recovery dropped from 57% day-to-day as an average down to 19% on the morning that he tested positive to COVID. His respiratory rate jumped up pretty significantly. His resting heart rate uh, with COVID spiked up to 47 beats per minute from 37 beats per minute, and his heart rate variability dropped. So it is kind of interesting to have that kind of observation Um both from court's uh, written sort of, I don't know, expressions of how he was feeling paired with the data. Uh, Obviously, it is not great to ride your bike in the Tour de France with COVID, which we probably could have guessed, but it's, uh, it's interesting to actually see that data and observation there right in front of you.
2: Should we address the elephant in the room? We should address the elephant in the room. That we leaked uh, some rather unbecoming images of ourselves <laughs> half-naked on Twitter yesterday. I've never looked worse. Um, I had both the EF press officer and professional writer of the peloton, Tom Squinch, comment about just how bad it looked, which uh, when people can't even be bothered to to dress up and ignore it, it means that it is... Uh, it is bad. <laughs> I've been at the tour for three weeks. I've eaten little else but bread, beer and cheese and I am ready for, I'm ready for Paris and to get home and never eat a single carbohydrate maybe ever again. <laughs> I thought we looked great. you
0: just got to own it. Yeah, yeah. And we did self-leak. So. We did self-leak. I'm yeah.
2: just, I, this morning in the mirror I love looking at the picture I, I tried to see again how I managed to drag one of my nipples down <laughs> towards my body like some sort of granny like it was like one of those half and half like ver- vertical sliced images where it's like this is what you look like at in the prime of your life and then this is just before you know <laughs> The end i think uh, i think for me it was one of those tricks
1: of the tricks of the light where in one light you look at it and you think that is a, a rabbit and in another, <laughs> in another light you're like ah is it a duck or an old woman
2: donnie darko <laughs> transformation um yeah but you know i think it's all it's always better to look worse in pictures because when people meet you in real life they're not as disgusted <laughs> exhibit a our colleague abby um she brought her Newborn baby along with Swan's coxswain, nice baby, nice to finally meet a colleague. Um, and Nine she's and a half out of ten, baby, I'd say. Yeah, it's a good one. I yep. don't meet many babies, but I could, t- I could just tell that was a good one. Very cute baby. Um, and yeah, after the previous heckling of my hair, she said it didn't look as bad in person, which isn't necessarily saying it looks good, just less bad. It's been a. D- I don't think I'm going to be able to adapt to normal life when I get home. This is going to be weird. <laughs> it's really hot. It's. I'm I'm
0: excited about the bike race to come. Yeah. Um and I'm trying to focus on that because it's been a rough couple days because uh, of the lack of, of air conditioning and attempting to get work done and just you know It's just the heaviness is Chubs leaks yeah. and, and
2: <laughs> chubs. Is that is that is that specifically my chubs? Che is a chebs Chebs, Chebs. Chebs. Chubs are probably something different. Chubs. Chubbs is in another... If I, if I did three more Tour de France's after this one, I would end up at Chubbs. <laughs> Chubbs leaks all over the place. Uh, yeah, we're just trying to stay focused. we got to stay focused um, what has, and write some stuff. What has given me more excitement for the third week? Obviously, I'm really excited, but bumped into David Walsh outside the press room in Monde, and he, was, he couldn't hide the excitedness for the race to come. He, and he's done a lot of tours, and he's like, usually the third week can be a bit rubbish and the race is already over but he was very excited i can't think
0: of a better one yeah i I, like i can't there have been closer tours um but generally they're close and the guy that you think is going to win is already leading and so you're basically like well as long as he doesn't have a really bad day then this is pretty much over but i in in the tours that i have covered since 2011 i mean 20 my first tour which is when cadell Evans overhauled schleck is probably one of the, the the next most kind of dramatic i would say um, you know schleck was a great character cadell was a great was a great character that that was a good that was certainly a good tour i think and and it was decided quite late but in the span between then the 2011 to essentially now it's been uh, most of the time relatively predictable in the last week and it's not predictable this time and we've got this amazing situation where the strongest team in the race has probably the second strongest rider in the race in the yellow jersey with a decent time gap and the strongest rider in the race has a not particularly strong team and so is going to have to do it solo but is the strongest rider in the race and and most of the time, the strongest rider wins the Tour de France. And so we just we have no idea what's going to happen. I think Pogacar's going to try to just nibble away at time every single day he can, try to take a bunch on Horakam, and then, and then rely on that final time trial. I mean, we could see Pogacar win yet another Tour de France in a, a penultimate
1: time trial. So what do we have oh, ahead of us? Oh, penultimate.
0: Damn it, that's a euro. <laughs>
1: we've, got, we've got five stages of proper racing remaining and then the paris stage we have three stages in the pyrenees
2: yeah we've got four and then two summit finishes yeah. so one after. of those summit
1: finishes is Paragude, which yeah. is the third uh runway finish yeah. <laughs> of the tour de france we love <laughs> a good runway uh and then hodakam
0: yeah hodakam which is nasty and, and if then... it's still hot like this heat wave we're in right now if it's still hot hodakam is going to be I mentioned this in the in the preview episode that I I wrote it on a day that was not quite like this, but was a hot day, and was absolutely miserable. There's no there's zero shade from about halfway up, and it will be
1: disastrous for anybody who overheats. And then a sprint stage, which yeah. could be Caleb Ewan's shot at redemption if he oh, avoids be the amazing, wagon. It?
2: or Champs Elysees. Or Champs Elysees. It's just a wagon. <laughs> Sorry, the wagon. <laughs> It'll be a broom wagon after we're done with it. Yeah. <laughs> by, that, by that sprint stage, it'll be a broom wagon. <laughs> and then what's after the sprint stage, Ian? Uh, sprint stage, then time trial. Time trial. Oh, I was hoping you say penultimate. Is this
1: friend of the podcast, this Josh Robinson? looks like oh, a Josh is. Robinson. He's
2: going to look up and see us and be
1: shocked. Offer a, a romantic tryst on the riverside whilst we're, we're watching.
2: And still wearing trousers. In the heat. He's still wearing trousers, still wearing which is trousers. extraordinary.
1: He's going to really look here.
2: He's going to look up.
0: Has he noticed? Has, has he noticed? He has lo- friend
1: has. of the podcast, Josh Robinson... <laughs> Has noticed us. This is... He's coming over. This is very good. We've been caught. Oh, no. We've, uh... Oh, dear. We've interrupted his his nice little Riverside yeah. picnic. He
2: he would have said, he would have said, oh, you know, I know Carcassonne pretty well. I know this nice little quaint spot. I'll just take it down here, look at the river, and then he looks up and it's just <laughs> us four with Chebbs out. <laughs> throwing rocks and talking into shit into microphones. Um, oh,
0: Well, we don't need Josh in today's podcast. He's going to be on the podcast for probably the rest of the week, I would imagine. Uh, It is just about time for us to wrap up. But before we do, we need to pop over to Jose.
3: After a rest day in Carcassonne, the Tour de France continues on Tuesday, which stage 16 to Foix in the Pyrenees. So courtesy of geotdf.com, some really old history for now. It involves dinosaurs, and since I am a big Jurassic Park fan, this is right up my alley. The precursors of what we now call the Pyrenees already started to form at the end of the era of the dinosaurs, so at the end of the Cretaceous, 60-70 million years ago. The sea level was a lot higher than today because there was no ice on the poles, and as a result, much of Europe was covered in shallow tropical seas. The islands that rose up from these seas became the territory of plenty of dinosaurs, And when the Pyrenees started to be pushed up, rivers dumped thick packages of sandy and muddy sediments. And sometimes a dinosaur bone or even an entire skeleton became covered by these sediments. Not far south of Limoux, about 20 kilometers into the stage, countless remains of dinosaurs have been recovered. One species has even been named after the vineyards that now grow there, the Titanosaur ampelosaurus. It's a middle-large, long-necked dinosaur that wore a special jacket of armour plates and that is well known from the excavation at capagne sur aude The literal translation of Ampelosaurus is the Vineyard Saw. These fossils can now be visited in the Dinosaur Museum of Esperassa. Finally, don't miss the magnificent helicopter shots this Tuesday of the Montsigur Castle. It was one of the last strongholds of the Cathars. Who were there again? Well, the Cathars. In church history, in addition to the official teachings of the church, alternative views regularly emerged, sometimes in detail, sometimes with more important differences. In the course of the 12th century, The followers of such an alternative teaching grew into larger communities, especially in the southwest of France. And there they received protection from regional rulers for several reasons. And sometimes these rulers also converted to the religions themselves. And later, this movement became known as Catharism. At the beginning of the 13th century, the Pope wanted to put an end to this heretical teaching and called for a crusade. After two of these bloody campaigns led by the French king against the Cathars and their protectors, the adherents of this religion had been pushed back all the way to the edge of the rugged Pyrenees. One of the most important places where the Cathars had retreated was Montségur. They had a rich and large settlement there where there was plenty of living and trading. In total, the almost impregnable fortress was besieged four times, starting in 1212, but it was only in 1243 that a siege turned out to be successful. It was at Christmas, and a group of about 6,000 besiegers climbed up and seized a watchtower that stood on the hill at the far end of the plateau. And there, they were finally able to install their tribuship which then started launching stone bullets towards the fortifications of the village. About a month later, holes appeared in the defences and the inhabitants could do little more than surrender. It was on March 1st, in 1244, that the leader of the defending troops, pierre Roger de Mirepoix, negotiated with the attackers and negotiated that the lives of the soldiers and non cathars should be spared. And this also applied to the Cathars who would give up their faith. The Cathars who did not, would have two weeks to prepare for their death. On March the 16th, a funeral pyre was erected, on which 220 Cathars were put to death. The fortifications and the entire village were razed to the ground, ending a once thriving community. Thanks to
0: Jose for putting those together. Uh, I've mentioned this before, but they're also, if you want to just read them or you want to you miss something they're on the website too they're called Or course h o r s course which is uh, also the the route that we take every day well most days sort of around the race course it means off course basically or above course um anyway go check them out on the site i think it's time for us to wrap up
2: today uh you know little rest day banter cast that's that's where we're at lacking a bit of um Moss-based heating information from our dear colleague Ronan, but that's very specific set of knowledge that we, we don't can't really have. replicate. We, no? uh, we don't, just, I, I did recently. Well, a bunch of people responded yes, after
0: that a- one, and basically just said turf is peat, and I was like, oh. It's the biggest response any- we've had to <laughs> anything we discussed in the podcast this tour. If anything, if anybody had just told me that at real time, I would have known exactly what he was talking about. But anyway, let's uh, let's call it. Tomorrow we'll be back from pop quiz where on earth is tomorrow's stage um to foie what's
2: it foie tomorrow yeah apparently we might be getting pizza at peter cousins our colleague's house yeah he lives there. yeah you uh you probably heard, heard yeah
0: well you probably heard peter on the on the podcast this week uh he does live outside Foix. uh we were talking about Well, we were talking in that case about uh la course en tete and what that sort of means for pogacar and things like that but uh, Peter's, Peter is also the author of the, the new book, Climbers, which is excellent. And Johnny, you've got a, you've got a copy you're gonna, you're gonna thumb
2: through. Yeah, and I think we're gonna speak to him more about Climbers in this final week where they will take center stage. Yeah, Peter's great. Anyway, we'll be back tomorrow from
0: Foix. Thanks for joining us on this very hot, but uh, ended up quite lovely rest day. Bye, everybody.